Hello, everyone. I'm Angie Mansfield, the Moderator-in-Chief of the Freelance Writers' Den, the learning and support community for writers looking to grow their income fast. This week's podcast episode is all about travel writing, and it is sponsored by the Freelance Writers Launchpad. The Launchpad helps new writers launch their business and land clients the right way. You can learn more at freelancewritersden.com launchpad. Joining me for this call are travel writers James Durston and Gabby Logan. We're going to start with Gabby today, who is the is a certified executive coach, author, and co-owner of the Rosewood Writing Retreat Center and Dream of Travel Writing, which helps freelance travel writers grow their incomes. She's the author of the Six-Figure Travel Writing Roadmap. She coaches travel writers privately at her writing retreat center in the Catskill Mountains of New York and in workshops around the world, and she edits the Travel Magazine Database, which includes daily posts analyzing which sections of travel magazines are open to freelance writers and how you can pitch them. Her work has appeared in national and international publications, including the Dallas Morning News, USA Today, and print anthologies. Welcome to the Freelance Writers Den podcast, Gabby. Hi, Angie. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with all of you Den members. We are excited to have you. Travel writing is a pretty popular to- topic in the den, so uh, we're we're always glad to talk to travel writers. <laughs> um, to start with, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you broke into travel writing? Yeah, it's funny because I haven't heard the tagline of the freelance writers den in a long time and I remember Carol started the den right about when I was leaving my job to become a travel writer and I was in the sort of lucky position where I had for a while a job that where I not only got to write on my job but I got to be trained by some other great writers and it was writing more about sciences. I worked at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And I remember that when I first was in the den and talking to other writers, people were like, you could make so much money writing about science. You could do all these other things that you already have this background that most people don't know about and they don't want to write about. And I was like, no, I want to make money writing about travel. And people were like, no, you can't do that. And so for me, when I got into travel writing, it was a really big uphill battle because not that many people at the time were talking about how to be a full-time freelance sustainable travel writer. And so I really had to figure out a lot of it myself. But the way that I started travel writing is actually quite different than the way a lot of people start now. Because when I started, people had blogs and people sometimes had travel blogs, but there was no place where travel blogs and income really overlapped. So I wanted to live in Italy. That was my goal. And then of course I got married and now I live in the US as happens to a lot of people, but I wanted to live in Italy and I decided that I was going to write about Italy for publications and websites. And that's how I was gonna pay for being able to live there. And so when I got started, I actually looked at a lot of other people like graphic designers and web developers and things like that to see how they set up a freelance business. And then within a couple of years, I was able to earn six figures from my freelance writing from a mix of publications and websites. Awesome. Um, I know a lot of people are excited to hear that. (laughs) Um, So I guess my next big question is, How easy is it for writers to break into this market? Do they need to have a lot of clips? 
Yeah, and I think that's a very interesting question in travel writing specifically that's different from a lot of other areas of freelance writing because there's this funny catch-22 where people who are great writers and have great skills and research ability and you know solid knowledge of grammar are able to get their work done in a timely fashion those people feel like there's so many other people out there writing about travel and they don't have any clips in travel or maybe they don't have any clips that are anywhere touching travel and how could they possibly be pitching editors about this topic but the really funny thing is that there are so many people out there who have no writing experience no experience running their own business professionally no experience managing projects and turning articles around no experience doing interviews any of those things who are just pitching their butts off at travel magazines with pitches that are basically like hey i'm going to macau would you like a story so travel writing is actually, weirdly, a lot easier to break into, especially in magazines, because editors get many fewer usable pitches than in a lot of other outlets, where there's a lot of really professional freelance writers competing for, say, like the $2 a word assignments at Oprah or something like that. Okay. So... I guess another really big question here is what is the opportunity is is this mostly online now or are there still really good gigs in the glossy magazines what seems to be the the way that it's going right now yeah that's actually another thing that I just came back from a conference and I heard for the first time that I've heard an outlet that's online only having regular rates of 350 to 500 dollars per piece Wow. And I heard somebody else, but not in travel the other day, say she earns up to $900 online. But like I said, those two are really outliers. What's going on in online now is that there might be in any given you know, website that you look at, there's going to be more work than print because they're publishing every day. They might even be publishing 7, 12, you know, 25 pieces a day. But the pay rates are really low compared to print still. So it's interesting. For instance, Men's Journal which I actually didn't realize for quite a long time is an adventure travel magazine, not really a men's fitness magazine, though they do cover that as well. They publish about maybe eight to 12 things online each day that they pay about 75 bucks for, but they'll pay you a dollar a word in print. So you're gonna be writing 500, 800 words for $75 if you do it online, but you'll get 500, $800 if you do it in print. So that begs the question, well, if print pays better, you know, how do I get that? Are there that many opportunities? Like you said, Angie. And the thing that's really cool with travel in terms of print publications is that there's been a huge growth in custom magazines, which I know you guys in the den in the past have heard from, you know, for instance, the airline magazine editors. And right. I believe we're also going to be hearing from an airline magazine editor later in the call. And those are custom magazines because they're created for the customers of a certain business. There's also ones for Lexus, AAA has their own magazines, different things like that. Um, but they are often overlooked by people in terms of pitching, but they have a dollar a word rates, which is really lovely. 
but the thing to that to me is really the best thing about those magazines isn't the dollar word rates it's the fact that they're a huge growing market right now so ink global which is a publisher of quite a few of the airline magazines i think they might have more than 30 right now they are constantly adding new magazines airlines trains all sorts of different captive audience travel markets are adding magazines in fact even virgin atlantic which for a long time worked with ink on its in-flight entertainment they had like a travel app on their in-flight entertainment device they've now expanded their what used to be a little booklet where they tell you the magazines and everything into a full-fledged magazine so it's a place where companies are investing in paying us writers good rates with experienced editors to write about travel. And there's also other travel magazine areas that are growing that people don't often think about, which is that as experiential travel and food travel and a lot of these other types of travel have really grown hugely, there's also a lot of opportunities in magazines that aren't specifically travel to write about food. For instance, an example that I always use is that there is a dollar word paying magazine from Hoffman Media, which produces magazines like Southern Living and things like that, that is just about tea. It's called Tea Time. And they actually run two sections that are about travel, every single issue in this magazine that's really usually kind of like a doily blue and white, you know, very, fancy tea sort of setting. They've got two travel articles and one is feature length every month. So there's both great opportunities in travel specific sort of publications, but also there's more opportunities even in like Harper's Bazaar and Town and Country and lots of other places like that to write about travel for good rates as well. That's a great point. Um, a lot of people think that there is too much competition for travel writing, but if you're looking in those magazines that aren't necessarily travel related that can cut down the, the competition a lot and get you into magazines that you didn't even think of. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's a really great point that you just made, Angie, which is that in the same way that a in-flight magazine, for instance, might be getting a lot of travel feature stories. They're not getting so many stories for areas that you might actually feel more comfortable pitching, not you personally, Angie, but any of you DEN members listening. For instance, if you have a science writing background or a business writing background or anything like that, all of the airline magazines also have these sections where they have usually one page department style, which means they're kind of the same every month, articles that are about these different topics, whether it's business or finance or health or science. And that can be a really great way to break in with the airline magazine editor and kind of buddy up with them by pitching these other articles to then become somebody that they'll assign travel articles to. Because another thing that I've seen a lot lately is that particularly in the travel space, but I think it's happening as well in food and perhaps some other verticals. Editors are moving a lot towards assigning articles that they've generated the ideas in-house rather than working on pitches. So once you get in front of them, then you become somebody that they'll assign articles to. That's a great place to be in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not that editor. hard to get to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So kind of moving into the nuts and bolts aspect of it. Um, I know this is a question that I that we've had in the den before too. Do you pitch your travel story before you leave or when you get back? That is one of those three or four questions that everybody has about travel writing, Angie. So I'm absolutely not surprised that you get it a lot. But like a lot of common questions, one of the reasons that it persists is because the answer is, unfortunately, it depends. And it depends largely on how confident you are 
that you can get the story that you're pitching. So what that means is if you in other types of writing or freelance writing or other types of work have had to go out in the field, you know, work with uncertain conditions, make sure you can get the information from people that you need to get, you feel confident that you've checked something in advance to the point that it has to possibly be there for you to even find and write the story about, then I would say go ahead and pitch it before you leave. I definitely don't ever counsel anybody who has not written for an editor before, particularly if you've written your own travel blog. You might think, oh, well, I write these things for my blog all the time. I can definitely write this piece up. But if you're not used to working with an editor, then you're not necessarily going to be thinking about the kind of questions that the editor might come up with or the kind of information that they might want to add on to the piece that you now will have a really hard time getting because you're back home and the place that you went to is very off the grid or you didn't get phone numbers or emails or different things like that. But the thing about pitching a story before you leave versus when you get back is there's other advantages to waiting until you get back to pitch besides just avoiding burning a bridge with an editor. And that's because the reason that we travel, not just travel writers, but all travelers, is to find things in the destination that we didn't expect were there, right? That's one of the beautiful things about traveling is to understand the world differently, understand the place differently, to, to simply see new things and have them change how you view things. So when you are in a destination, you're going to pick up so many stories that you wouldn't have known that you can pitch. And that might be even just sitting in your hotel lobby doing your email or catching up on your other work. You'll hear another visitor talking about what brought them there. And then that'll give you an idea for a brand new market that's interested in this destination that maybe you hadn't thought about before that that particular audience would come to this destination for that reason. So I love the idea, especially for people who are full-time freelance, of going to a destination with a linchpin article, so something that you've been assigned in advance. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Angie, which is that now that editors are often assigning pieces, you can be in the position where you're assigned a story to go somewhere and that's your linchpin piece. And then you pick up other stories when you're there that you can pitch other places. And someone asked me a really interesting question about this the other day. I'd never thought about people having concerns about this, but she said that, well, if I've gone somewhere on an assignment for this magazine, is it okay to pitch ideas about this place to other publications? And the magazine hadn't paid for her travel, the tourism board paid for her travel, but even besides that, Unless you've signed some sort of contract that you might do for your photography, but I've never seen for writing, that any information that you turned up in that destination is property of the magazine, you can absolutely pitch every single idea that you have from that destination somewhere else, even if you went there on assignment for one specific magazine. Awesome. Yeah, and that is kind of similar advice to what we give people about um, simultaneous pitches is... Mm. You can't always wait for the money for that one assignment or editing might take longer. So see what you can wring out of each trip in order to make a good living at this. Yeah. And that, and I'm so glad you brought up simultaneous pitches because it's, it's a, a really contentious topic right now. I was mm -hmm. just at the ASJA, which is the American Society of Journalists and Authors conference a few months back, and someone asked a question about this. And 
I am always of the mindset that we, you have to simultaneously pitch, but the piece that you write and even the pitch itself will often be a little bit different because every piece is going to be written for the format of the section that you're pitching to and the audience of the magazine. So the piece will always be different. It's just a function of whether that magazine cares if it's in another magazine or not. So you can right. simultaneously pitch to non-competing markets and that shouldn't be so much of an issue. But I heard from an editor a really interesting take on it that's unfortunate, which is that he was like, don't you ever dare simultaneously pitch me. And I've heard this a lot from editors and I just think, well, you've never been a freelancer, you don't get it. But what this guy said is, you know, we have these meetings, these editorial meetings, and I have to pick all these pieces and then we have to discuss them. And, you know, if you've gone out and pitched the piece somewhere else, and this is personal essay, so you really can't publish it two places. He says, if you pitch a piece somewhere else and then I lose it, all my hard work is undone. And the thing about that, that's just really unfortunate is that that editor hasn't written back to that person and said, Hey, I'm kind of interested in this idea and I have to take it to my ad board. Can like, can you not pitch it somewhere else while I do this? Or is it already out? Can you let me know? And I think the thing about simultaneous pitches, whether it's in travel or other markets is that better communication makes people not upset about that on both sides. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to feel like every pitch you send, you need to say, this is a simultaneous pitch, just so you know, I'm pitching this to 25 places. Editors today should understand that we're, that we have to earn a living and that happens by not waiting six months for them to get back to us to assign the story. Exactly. Yeah, I can kind of see where he's coming from. But like you say, as freelancers, we cannot always wait for that whole process to to come through and wait for him to come back and say okay I want this by then yeah our light bill has come due so <laughs> yeah and editors right now tend to come back to people with an insanely short deadline I've noticed they people are coming back six months later to new to them writers with a three-day or seven-day deadline on a piece oh, and wow. yeah and so there's I feel like there's just kind of this gap between um between editors and writers right now. That's, that's right. you know, the editors always say they want this from writers and writers say they want this from editors and we should all work together to close it. Right. Um, I think there's another perception among newer writers, especially who want to be travel writers that, oh, well, I travel all the time. I can just write about the trips that I take. Is it really that simple or do they need to do a little bit more work to make that work for them? Yeah, and I and I think something when we talked about this um, concept before that you had said was the word angle, which I have an absolute love hate relationship with the word angle. But the idea of if you can just write about the trips that you take kind of implies a, you know, diary style first person step by step account of your trip, for instance, right. But this ties back in with what we were just saying about simultaneous uh, pitches, which is that the more fragments you break your trip into, the more places you're going to have to pitch anyway. And even if it's sort of a kernel of the same idea, that piece ends up being different for places. So while you certainly can pitch about five major newspapers in the country that will pay you a decent rate and then innumerable places online that will pay you nothing, a straightforward account of your trip, you are then burning the bridge of all sorts of other places that you could write about that trip. Because when you publish a story, you know, you can't, without letting the editor know, publish a similar story or a fragment from that trip or something like that 
when you've covered the whole story already, when you've already touched on every tour you've taken, every meal you've eaten, all these things. And this is something that I run into a lot with people who have travel blogs is that they've written up their trip on their website and they don't understand that an editor is never going to buy a piece about that trip because as far as the editor is concerned, they've already published that. So you're much better off from a variety of angles, especially in terms of potential income, breaking your trip up into as the smallest pieces that you can. And so that means, for instance, there, there's an example that I use a lot um, that I went on this tour in Spain. We went to a place that was a apiculture institute, I guess you could say. They had like a little bee culture museum. And then there was also an opportunity to go outside with the bees. And I am allergic to bees. And so I was absolutely not going to go outside with the bees. But I kind of stayed back uh, and was thinking about some story ideas while everybody else was playing with the bees, for lack of a better word. And the thing about that is it's just one little tiny, like barely one hour kind of attraction visit or museum visit, if you will. And most people would maybe, maybe have like a one line mention of that in their piece. Whereas you can take that B thing and you can turn it into a humorous personal essay about, you know, trying to how everybody was running back to the bus and saying, no, there's bees coming, stay in the bus, don't come out. You could turn it into a personal essay where you're thinking about you know, how you, because you're allergic to bees, you avoid doing the, all these activities where there could be bees or gardening or this or that and how that affects your life and maybe how avoiding other things affects your life. And then you have this beautiful personal essay where you come to this realization at the end about all these things you've been ignoring. You can have a set of recipes from the person at the museum talking about ways to cook with honey. You can have an explainer piece where you talk about how honey is actually not made from different flowers as if it's a different product, but how each flower honey happens a different month or week of the year based on which flowers are in season. There's all these different spin-off pieces that you could write, even from one hour, one little outing like that, that you've been on, that you really don't even, when you sit down to it, you don't even want anymore to write a piece where you have to cover your whole trip in, you know, whether it's 500, 800, 1200, 3000 words, because that's so much more work than just taking this one little bit of your trip, the information you already have in your notes and writing that up and getting $300 and saying, thank you very much. Right. And the other thing, like you say, is if you're writing a 500 word piece, if you have to cram your entire trip into there, it's going to be a lot, I think, a lot more watered down than if you can focus on one really interesting aspect like the apiary. That sounds like really interesting to me. I And I'm, I'm deathly afraid of bees, but that still yeah. sounds fascinating to me. Yeah. And what you said about the watering down is actually kind of a side effect. But what I see happen with writers who are actually like trying to write pieces like this is that they get analysis paralysis of what to include and what not to include. And they spend 20 times longer on that piece than they should. And still maybe the editor doesn't like it. So that's the other problem with writing like, a, you know, everything but the kitchen sink piece like that. Right. And that kind of leads into another question I had, which was how do you decide which stories from your trip to tell and which ones that you should leave out? You know, this, I think I probably had a different answer to this years ago when I was just writing for myself. But now that I've been coaching travel writers and I see so many people working on this, I, I have a really, really specific clear answer to this that's probably different than what a lot of people say, which is the stories that you should tell and the ones that you should leave out are the ones that you find homes for the fastest and the easiest. 
the ones where there's a magazine that has a section and has an audience where this particular subset of your trip is just a perfect fit. Because I see a lot of people who have stories that they're like addicted to. Like they talk to you, not like PR people, but like they're the founder of this company. They're just so enthralled with it. Or they're going on and on about this town, which is only, you know, like three hours from this major city and it has wine and it has this and that. And nobody knew there was wine in this part of the South. And there's all these award-winning chefs, but that's a topic. That's not a story. And so I I find that often the stories that people most want to tell, that they feel that they have to tell, aren't stories. They aren't article ideas. They're just things that they were really enthralled with on their trip. And so I find that having that lens of, okay, what's the low-hanging fruit here? What is something that's compact and manageable, like we were just talking about, that clearly fits with this particular section and this particular magazine and this particular audience? That's what goes out the door. Great. Yeah, I, I love the way that you the way that you put that. Um, it's another I think one of those misconceptions that people have is, oh, I can just write about this idea and it not isn't necessarily a great article topic. Yeah. And it's sad because they're like I get a lot of people who come to me with pitches that they've been kind of, you know, like flacking around for ages and they're so sad that they're not landing anywhere. But it's because it's like a Wikipedia article, the pitch, like not even the article that they would write, but just the pitch itself is like, it goes on for eight long paragraphs and right. no editor can assign that. And the thing is that by sending a pitch like that, even if it's just about a trip you take, a lot of times people say, well, I know that in the eventual piece, they also mentioned shops and places to eat in hotels. So I wanted to include all those in my pitch. So the editor knows that I have ideas for those. But what you're showing the editor is that you can't do one of the most important things to a print editor ever, which is to respect word count and be concise. And right. I've seen a huge wave in all sorts of different sectors of freelancing that editors want shorter and shorter pitches right now. It used to be that you would write a lead kind of the way that you would write a lead, which is the beginning of the article in your piece, and that would go in your pitch. But now they don't even want that. They just want like two sentences about the idea, like in and out, and then they'll follow up with you. Right. So let's say, for instance, I took a great trip five years ago, but I want to pitch or I want to write about it now. How old is too old for a trip that you want to pitch about? Yeah, this is a an interesting question that I get a lot as well. I think it's one of those kind of classic travel writing questions. And people also say, well, oh, you know, my husband's from Korea, but when we go there, I don't really exactly do touristy things. Like, can I really write about that? And I think it all comes down to what type of story. And when I say story, I mean article, like the actual format of the article you're trying to write. So could you write a destination guide about a place you've been five years ago? No, I wouldn't pitch that. Could you write a feature article about a story that you took five years ago? Maybe, but it depends if the story there is more characters and more atmosphere, or it's more about doing actual things on the ground that you need to see if they're still going and if they're still the same and if that tour has changed and all these things. So the things that you can definitely pitch from five years ago are these more atmospheric narrative features, which are more about characters and a thing that happened, as well as personal essays. Those are the things that are never too old for you to pitch. The things like destination guides or even, you know, it might be something about a hotel, which 
interestingly, people often tell me like, oh, I went to these places. I want to write about these hotels. But there's not so many places online to write about hotels anymore because now we have TripAdvisor. So that's just one thing to watch out for in terms of travel writing. Anything where you're writing about a destination, food, like a scene in a certain city, you have to be really careful with that stuff because it gets outdated. But if you were there five years ago and you have a cool idea and you've checked that it's still a current, like it's still happening, and you can get on the phone and get some fresh quotes and some new information, then you can still pitch that idea. Okay, great. Um, we're kind of coming up to the end of this segment, so I'm going to get to my last question here, which is, how do you find the balance between finding ideas and taking notes for an assignment while you're on your trip versus actually enjoying yourself on your vacation? Well, I think that's the word that you used at the end there kind of says the difference. If you're on vacation, right. then you're not taking notes and finding ideas for an assignment. But the it's kind of a joke that travel writers don't take vacation. I think now after going on like almost 10 years of doing this, I can finally go on a vacation to a place that I already know and not have any ideas. But once you start seeing all of the ideas in different destinations, you can't turn it off. You know, most people I know will be with their spouse and like taking pictures of things so they don't forget and writing down notes. And, you know, I was in a Michelin starred restaurant the other day and I accidentally started talking to the owner chef just because we knew some things in common in Reykjavik and so it gets really hard to turn it off uh, which is only bad if your significant other or whoever else you're traveling with has a problem with it. <laughs> um, well you have put a lot of excellent information into a short amount of time here so we really appreciate that Gabby. Um, do you have any final thoughts or somewhere that you want our members to find you if they want to learn more? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about what I do, I basically help travel writers as my full-time job now. And we, our main website for that is dreamoftravelwriting.com. But also we've got more than 500 in-depth magazine breakdowns where we look at exactly which sections are open to freelancers and how to pitch those individual sections that really lets you come up with ideas, even for magazines that you've never seen in our travel magazine database, which is travelmagazinedatabase.com. But my, my final kind of thing that I would leave you with is to say that there's, there's so many stories out there, even in your own backyard, even where you live, that are interesting to other people who might be traveling to that place or might be armchair travelers that are never going to go there. That if you, have the, if you have the training, which I know that you get in the den, to put together great stories and to do great interviews and to, to showcase the world, that you're kind of almost doing a disservice to people by not sharing it. It's just a function of making it easy for yourself of how to know which stories, like I said, which stories you can place, where you can place them in a way that the time that you've spent makes money, makes sense for the amount of money you're getting paid. And that's when it's all sustainable. And that's really my, what I want for everybody is to be able to travel and write about it sustainably in a way where they don't feel like they're putting their heart and soul into a blog that maybe some people read, but that, you know, now they don't see their kids because they're spending time on it. Right. That's definitely what we want for all, all writers, regardless of their niches, to make it sustainable and so it doesn't feel like it's such a chore. Totally. So we definitely appreciate you being here with us today, Gabby. We had a few little technical issues, which I won't go into for members, but um, thank you so much for your patience through those. And 
we look forward to uh, sending men- members to your websites to learn a little bit more. Thank you, Angie, and thank you all of you. Like I said, I've been in the I've been a member of the Den since the very beginning, even though I don't get so much time to log in these days. So I'm really excited to have had a chance to to chat with more of you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gabby. You have a wonderful day. Thanks, Angie. And next up today, we have James Durston, who is the former senior producer for CNN Travel, the current digital editor for Discovery, the in-flight magazine, and the founder of PitchWiz.com, a platform that helps freelance writers structure and sell their stories and helps editors find writers with great ideas. James is also the author of the TravelWriteEarn.com blog and has written two books that give travel writing advice from the editor's side of the desk, How to Sell Travel Stories and Why Editors Don't Reply. Welcome to the Den Podcast, James. We're really excited to have you here. Thank you very much, Angie. Very excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, You have some pretty impressive titles in that resume. Can you tell us a little about how you got into travel? Did you start out as a writer and move over to the editorial side? Um, sure. I um, got to going back a few years now, but yeah, when I first kind of got into journalism, it was with a permanent, it was with a permanent role as a, a finance writer in London, and kind of a few job changes and a few years after that, I ended up leaving the UK and going to India for three years. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was actually a, a perfect way to get into freelance writing in general, but freelance travel writing in particular. Um, the living expenses were, were very cheap in India. Um, I could actually afford to be quite lazy, if you like. Basically, the pressure wasn't on to be churning out kind of stories day after day, week after week. Um, and I was able to kind of explore some of the, the freelance opportunities that are out there, basically writing India-oriented, India-based stories for um, my previous employers and other publications back home in the UK. And um, I haven't been back really to live in the UK since then, and that was about 12 years ago. I, I'm now based in Hong Kong. Um, I left India to, to join the CNN travel uh, job that you mentioned. Um, I've, I've jumped a couple of into a couple of other jobs since then, always with a kind of a digital and a travel journalism, travel writing um, type angle. Um, but yeah, that, that's basically how I got into it. I left the UK and um, was able to kind of have the luxury of being able to freelance for a while without too much pressure and kind of travel writing came to me essentially. I am quite jealous. India and Hong Kong are both places on my list of places I would love to visit. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey. Um, Hong Kong is, is really the city that changed my life. Um, kind of, I, I met my wife here. And we've had our, both our kids here. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those kind of decisions that kind of the butterfly effects occurred. And, you know, 12 years later, you're, you're living a totally different, in a totally different way that, than you, you were when, before you left home kind of thing. But it's all been really good. And um, it's actually a really good way to, to get into freelance travel writing. It's one of the things I explain to people that if you're just starting out, and especially if you're young enough and, and don't have too many commitments, especially financial back home, why not kind of jump out and go to a place where the living expenses are very low, where they speak English, you know, everyone speaks, not everyone, but a lot of people speak English in India. And it, like I say, it just gives you the chance to explore this very enjoyable 
um, livelihood without having too much pressure, especially at the start, which is important, I think. Right. Um, I also asked Gabby this, but I'd love to hear your perspective too. Uh, what kind of opportunity do you feel that there is in travel writing now? Um, is the is it really high competition still? Is it mostly online? What what are your ideas? Yeah, um, obviously I've I've been in kind of the digital realm for about the last nine years or so, nearly purely. Um, for the last few years, I've been the digital editor of a print magazine, so I can see how both sides work. Um, I still think there's plenty of opportunity out there. Um, there is a bit of a debate about whether you should kind of glossy magazines, do they pay better than online? Is, is online more frequent, but you know, is it less kind of glamorous or, or less does it look less great on your CV? Um, to be honest, I think you we can't afford to be fussy as travel writers because it is still very competitive and it's only getting more competitive. Um, so you, you kind of need to take the jobs that are out there that are available. Um, I'm very uh, realistic and pragmatic with my advice to, to, to writers. It's you've got to earn a living. This is a job, essentially. It's not some nice dream life where you're essentially being paid to be on holiday for the rest of your life. This is a job and you've got to hustle and you've got to take the gigs that are available. Um, I think one of the big opportunities that's emerging now is actually content marketing. Um, this isn't specifically honed in on kind of travel writing per se, but content marketing is becoming this huge beast that is almost separate to regular journalism and writing and marketing on its own um, so there's, there's a lot of opportunities i think besides the usual publication route but in actually tapping up brands and companies um, for content that they might want written and uh, a lot of them are these days a lot of them are realizing that there's a, a lot of gains a lot of awareness to be made um, by marketing themselves through content through articles that's high quality journalism um, but there's just happens to be linked back to their brand and is promoting their brand or their company or service in some way yeah i'm glad you bring that up because um we we have the launch pad which is a a coaching program for new writers and i know i had one student who was interested in travel writing and didn't even think about some of the businesses related to travel that are maybe a little bit easier to break into and provide a little bit more steady gigs than than maybe some of the magazines do anymore so sure. yeah it's definitely something to keep in mind yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, editors, they, they can still be a little bit old school, you know, in terms of they want to see credentials, they want to see your experience and that you've written for other high profile magazines or websites um, quite often before they, they employ you. Um, there's always room for a great idea still, but I think with content marketing and, and brands and companies, they're not quite so uh stuck in in that kind of realm where they want to see these high profile journalistic titles on your resume or, or on your portfolio um so it's definitely worth checking out and i hear it pays quite well so um it's, it's definitely worth looking into right um so it can going back to to classical travel writing it can kind of feel like every destination has been written about and some of them have been written about so many times so do you have any ideas for a writer to find a fresh take on on a destination that they really want to write about? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I would never kind of forego the, the, the staple kind of guidebooks. You know, Lonely Planet is very useful. 
But what I often do when I go someplace with a lonely planet is to look at what's not in the lonely planet. Um, what great bar or restaurant or experience is in this destination that Lonely Planet hasn't actually written about. There might be a very good reason for that. It might not be very good or it might have been pitched by a writer and they just didn't have room to uh, to put it into the edition. But it's still worth a pitch elsewhere or even to Lonely Planet. You know, you've missed out this great thing that there are huge queues, provide some social proof if it was great and, you know, try and try and pitch it as something that they're really missing out on unless they include it. Um, so what aren't your guidebooks covering? Um, that's one area. The other thing that I think is quite overlooked um, by travel writers, especially because the whole idea behind travel writing is that you travel, you go somewhere that isn't your home and then write about it and sell that story. Um, but there is no reason why you can't write about your own town, your own city, your own neighborhood and pitch that story to somewhere else that doesn't have access to those stories already. Um, there's a freelance writer I know and I've, I've used her in the past a couple of times and even interviewed her for my blog um, a while ago. She made the very good point that when she was living in India, she sold her first story to the New York Times by pitching a story that she had seen in a local Indian newspaper. Um, the New York Times hadn't covered it, their writer or their desk just wasn't aware. So she makes a good point that, you know, you're not going to sell stories to the New York Times that appear in the Washington Post. They've already got their beat writers doing all the same kind of stuff. Um, so there's no reason why you can't write about your own kind of home area or your own locale and pitch it to a, a title the opposite side of the world, as long as the idea is good and big enough to be worth pitching and, and covering by that title. Um, the other thing, just sorry, just one final point there is, is just to be self-aware. You know, I think a lot of us walk around places and have a hundred thoughts every hour when we're in a new place about some observation or some... Um, new little thought that pops into our head and we might think about writing a little tweet about it or a Facebook post but maybe that little thought that little observation you had could be a story you know just explore it a little deeper be self-aware enough to know when you're having these observations that are interesting to you and if they're interesting to you they might be in of interest to an audience and therefore an editor as well um, that takes a bit of training, uh, a bit of self-training, but it's it's a good habit to try and get into, I think, if you're looking for uh, good ideas that, that are original. Yeah, I love that advice, and I think that could even apply to other areas of writing. Um, develop, sure. Following the, the rabbit trail of those ideas down to possibly a good story idea. Exactly. I mean, one, one of the stories I recently um, won at the, the big English newspaper here in Hong Kong was um, I had a foot massage and it was one of the most hilarious, awful foot massages that I'd ever had. And it was, it was just going to be a funny Facebook post, but I then I ended up writing about 200 words and I thought, this is, this is way too long for a Facebook post, I'll turn it into a blog post. And I thought, if it's going to be a blog post, why don't I try and sell it somewhere first? And it did, right. it did sell. You know, I won, you know, 600 US or something dollars for, for that post. I would, another, would never have even considered um, selling unless I'd been self-aware enough or had started writing it out and saw and seen how it had grown and become a story in its own right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a good little tip, I think. Yeah, definitely. So is there some kind or some research that a writer needs to do before they leave for their trip in order to better cover that destination? Um, I think people are always a very good first port of call. Um, 
people are where you find stories essentially um, for the most part and so uh, look up try and look up who are the interesting people in wherever you're you're heading to um, these needn't necessarily be kind of famous celebrity types but people who may have been covered in the local press so try and check out local newspapers and websites um, to see what they're covering first and foremost because they'll give you the real the kind of in the insider stuff that maybe the big international titles aren't covering um, they'll also give you a bit of insight into who are the people that are worth hunting down the kind of whether they're kind of shop owners or art gallery owners or restaurateurs um, people who are kind of creating the scene and the vibe in that location are always a good place to start um, then again local newspapers and magazines and websites you know they'll give you kind of the, the broad coverage of perhaps interesting events that are coming up that you could go to um, or interesting stories that have happened recently that you could dig a little bit into um, while you're there and also don't forget PRs you know press um, PR people it's in their interest to see you get published as well and um, especially if you're kind of featuring their clients so tap them up and ask if they've got any hotels or restaurants or people in, in your des target destination who are kind of doing interesting or new things that might be worth um, checking up on. Um, you know, th those are just a few ideas, I think. But I think that the, the theme really is to try and find something new, try and find something that your target titles, either back home or, or international titles, um, won't be too aware of or won't have covered before, basically. Okay. So then once you're on the trip um, and you've maybe made contact with some of these people that were in the local news or you uh, are in conversations with locals, what kind of questions can you ask to dig up some really good stories while you're on the trip? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, the it's very hard to kind of try and define how you find good stories, but just right. converse with them, I think. Um, what do they do? Where do they go? You know, a lot of there's a big theme running through a lot of uh, publications these days, which is about getting that insider insight to a place. You know, Airbnb is doing a lot of travel content now, trying to give you um, tours with locals in the in various kind of cities around the world, because these locals give you the real insider route through all, all the key places that the big, broad, you know, international titles won't necessarily have access to. Um, so yeah, just what, what are locals doing? What do they do for fun themselves and with their friends, I think is a good start for just sussing out some of the vibe and the places, the venues that are worth looking at. Um, and ask about the history, you know, a lot of people have stories, you know, and, and this is, this is what sells ideas. It's the stories inside the, the idea. So where do they come from? How do they get there? Where are they going? What are their plans? You know, um, you see a lot of, pe a lot of pieces. Uh, that are just about um, a single person and something they're doing that's interesting. Um, I remember running pieces on on CNN where the headline and the pitch of the story was simply something like the Chinese farmer violinists. So this was just a, a writer who had gone to some place in China and um, discovered a, a, a kind of a farming town or a farming neighborhood where all the the head farmers played the violin and taught the violin to the kids in the neighborhood as well. Um, not a huge kind of earth shattering story of international kind of grandeur at all, but importantly, a very interesting headline that was being pitched to an online 
publication where headlines are, are absolutely key to um, selling your story. And it was just kind of unusual enough to, to perk my interest and, and for me to, to buy it. Um, so I think, you know, again, that and that's just a person-oriented story, essentially, without any real key earth-shattering theme. But it was interesting. Um, local yeah. events as well are worth asking about. And, and again, just be aware of your own observations when you're meeting locals and, and people and, and how they're kind of reacting to you as well. You know, there's often a story there in terms of how people and how foreigners and tourists are being accepted into the fold or not and that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah, that uh, the violinist farmer's idea sounds really interesting. Not it's a great, shattering baby, but I, I love that. I would love to read that. So Yeah, and I think we had some videos to go with it as well and some nice oh, pictures. So, um, yeah, it's a really good little package that... Like I say, and, and we'll probably come on to this again, you know, my big thing, especially when you're pitching ideas to, uh, to online titles, is to think about that headline and put that headline right. or that working title front and center in your pitch, because that, that's going to give the editor some knowledge that you've know, you know enough about your story enough to kind of distill it down to just six or eight words or so. And, and if that grabs them, then it's likely it'll grab their readers too. Right. So kind of moving over into the business side of, of being a travel writer, mm. um, I know that this first one is a really common question and probably a misconception that a lot of people have. Um, how easy is it to get your trips comped? Are there ethical issues with taking those deals if you do find them? Um, it is, I actually don't know what, what the kind of the, the misconception you're referring to is. I mean, it is very okay. easy to get trips comped, to be honest, okay. in my experience. Yeah. Well, maybe that's um, my misconception. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, there are definitely ethical um, considerations to take on board, but there, there's nothing wrong with it, in my view. Um, there are publications, of course, that don't accept comp trips. I think the New York Times is one of them. Um, so you have to be very clear and transparent with your editor, especially, you know, if something is going to be comped. Um, the BBC, though, and a lot of titles are kind of relaxing their rules on this these days, which is to say that you know, there, there's often a big rule about, no, we do not accept comp trips. But there'll be one clause in there that says, unless there's just no way of getting the story without it or something like that. So that's quite an easy fallback on because, you know, freelance travel writing, especially, I'm not the richest journalist in the world. Um, and journalism itself is not one of the best paid professions in the world. So um, no freelance writer really can be expected to pay all their travel expenses. So this right. is part of the parcel of accepting freelance work. Most publications know that this is part of that package. Um, but just be clear about it and don't do what one writer for me did once which is pitch me a story about a resort that was the great big new fancy resort in their um, locale without also dis disclaiming to me that they were also the PR manager for that resort um, wow. that's a no-no where you're kind of you're you're bringing up very you know obvious conflicts of interest there um, but sure if you want to get if you're if you can get comped um, absolutely why not just be clear about it really right so this one kind of follows from the question about comp trips. Does a, can a writer have a little bit more luck approaching 
tourism boards or vacation companies and resorts like you mentioned? Um, possibly. I think it helps to approach somebody who deals with the media and understands this ball game. Um, so you'll want to approach somebody, you know, who's either in the press relations department or the marketing department or media relations, something like that. Somebody who actually deals with writers and journalists and knows that this is part of what happens. Um, but absolutely, there, there's nothing wrong. I mean, influencers is, is the big kind of theme of, of the last few years, isn't it, where we get Instagrammers and, and people with 100,000 or so followers saying they never need to pay for a hotel again in their life. Um, may very well be true, um, but I think a lot of brands and companies are kind of being a little bit more smart about how they employ these people now. And actually micro-influencers, people with 2,000 followers and less, are actually being sought by some brands and companies because they offer a much more targeted audience and a demographic that they think is much more relevant to them, the brand that is. Um, so yeah i mean it's it's resorts and hotels flights are very difficult to get comped i think but you can certainly swing a, a free hotel room or two um as long as they're big enough you know i don't think you're going to kind of go to a very local neighborhood outfit who is relying on on every kind of customer to help pay those bills but if you can right. get something that's national or international in in scale um, they'll, they'll know about this sort of thing and as long as you can suggest or come to them with a, an agreed publication and an assignment essentially that guarantees that you will be published you, you'll probably have no problem um, the problems might occur when you're just saying I, I might have this story available um, and they're kind of taking a bit of a risk on you if, if that's the case and you haven't got a confirmed assignment right do you think that it's valuable or even necessary for writers to join uh, travel writing associations or visit travel expos? I have very little experience of that myself, but I do know that people who do go to them rave about them quite a lot. Um, I think, you know, networking is a, is a very crucial and fundamental part of, of the journalism uh, industry just fundamentally. Um, so knowing people, getting your card out there, getting your name and face and, and that sort of thing out to, to people, not just fellow writers, but brands and marketing managers and PR people and media people. Um, it can all help for sure. Um, I know a lot of travel expos are pretty good at um, picking up on press trips. So these comp trips that we're talking about um, often uh, companies will, will go to these things with, with, actual press trips on, you know, organized already, and they're just looking to fill the spaces with journalists and writers who can bring them the best coverage. Um, so there, there's certainly opportunity there, um, but I've only read about it. I've only got a kind of secondhand evidence for that. Uh, I've never actually done that myself. Okay. So as a full-time freelancer, a writer wants to make the most money possible from every assignment or trip. Do you have some tips for coming up with multiple story ideas that they can sell out of a single trip that they've taken? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the first thing is to consider the, the different publications you want to pitch to and try to make sure you're not um, pitching to very similar um, audiences, essentially. Um, 
So you might pitch one kind of family travel oriented magazine with the, the family travel angle about what, what's good for mums and dads and kids on, in some destination. You might pitch another publication that's designed purely for over 50s or you know retirees, for example, and that would be a very different story. Um, and you can also kind of segregate your story ideas by theme. Um, you'll notice a lot of travel publications, magazines and websites will categorize their content according to kind of eat or sleep or dine or drink or adventures, that sort of thing. Um, so you could come up, you could actually create a list of eight or nine or ten story ideas before you even go to a place think, saying, right, this is going to be my food angle on this place, this is going to be my hotel and accommodation angle, this is going to be my adventurous experience angle. And then each of those ideas you will pitch to a different publication that is focused on that particular theme. Um, that's a good and fairly simple way of, of coming up with multiple ideas, I think. Uh, make that list and then when you're there, just make sure you hit it. Make sure you've done the research and the, the pre-planning so that you can, add, you can actually cover off all, all the ideas that you're, um, you're, you're suggesting to editors because the last thing you want to do is, is file a story that doesn't actually hit what you've pitched. Um, that's the kind of editorial pitching equivalent of clickbait, I assume. Yeah. It's only going to lead to disappointment. So. Right. All right. So do you have any final thoughts or advice that you want to share about becoming a successful travel writer? I think the one or various things I would say would be I, I've got a bit of a problem with the whole kind of travel writer phrase. Um, I think it conjures up uh, this idea of a very easy livelihood, a very easy lifestyle where you're swanning about in kind of robes and hotels and getting everything paid for and writing about your observations as if it's just a nice little journal entry for yourself and, and getting paid to be published. Um, it's definitely not that. I mean, once you've been doing it for a couple of decades and you've made a name and you're actually good and you've showcased your talent, you might be able to get away with that sort of thing. Um, but really, you don't want to think of yourself as a travel writer and, you know, lounging about and just scribbling purple prose and poetry. Um, you've got to think of yourself as a travel journalist, first and foremost. Um, the writing, the actual processing of language comes secondary to the story. What's the story you're going to hunt down, investigate, explore, and then expose for the world? You know, um, these don't have to be kind of social, political things, but there's, there's got to be a story in whatever the idea is that you're pitching, um, whether that's a person-oriented thing or some news event or, or something. But why should somebody be interested in this story and why now? I think that's one thing a lot of people forget. So be a travel journalist, not a travel writer is, is one tip. And the other thing that I would just underline, I mentioned it briefly earlier, is you know, being a travel writer, Funnily enough, you don't actually need to travel all the time to do your stories. Um, I've had a couple of writers that I've used for, for various publications. I've assigned them 30 to 40 stories over the course of a couple of years. And probably one or two of those they actually had to travel to, uh, to investigate and research and write. Most of these were desk writes. They were kind of listicle type pieces. They were interviews they did over the phone. Um, they were kind of hotel roundups, restaurant roundups, that sort of thing. Now, I know that's not exactly what you dream of doing when you want to become a travel writer or a travel journalist, 
Um, but these are ways of, of paying the bills. And um, like I say, I, I try to bring a very pragmatic, utilitarian angle to the, the travel writing advice that I give. And um, this is this is easy money. You can do a, a ten, the top ten restaurants in Paris type listicle roundup. You know, in you can write it up in a day. And if somebody pays you four hundred bucks for that, that's kind of just it's easy money in the bank. Um, and lastly, always consider that headline. Um, it's, it's the one thing I keep banging on about to everybody I, I talk to about freelance writing. It's always think how, you know, J, J schools of, of your would teach you to write the headline last because you'd already done your story. Once you'd written it and researched it and edited it and rewritten it, then you could write the headline because then you knew what the story was, was about. I think this day and age, you've got to flip that about, especially online. You've got to think of your headline first. What, what is the core crystallized concept that I'm trying to sell to an editor and an audience here? Have that front and center at the top of your pitch, at the top of when, when you're researching and writing this piece, because then you'll, you'll never stray and you'll, um, you'll always have that very concrete angle um, running through your piece, which is, is always a good sign of a good story. Yeah, we definitely agree with the headline advice in the den. Um, and mm. I think, I think I saw it on Copy Blogger years ago. They said something like, "Spend if you're writing a 500 word blog post, spend 75 percent of your writing time coming up with the right headline." So, right, they are crucial when you're writing online, especially. Definitely, and you know, you 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 hear of crazy stories about people that write for these sites like Upworthy and, and these kind of very social media oriented content websites, where the, the writer of the story has to come up with twenty or thirty alternative headlines for his right. story, and then through committee they'll kind of whittle them down to three or four or one or two, and then they'll do some A/B testing to find the, the the favorite one and that sort of thing. So it's it's a very good habit to get into, definitely. Yeah. And we'll have to change the name of this episode to travel journalism instead of travel writing. <laughs> that's right. Yes, please do. <laughs> the good things oh, will come from it. That's right. Okay. So I've asked you a whole lot of questions about travel writing and you've provided some fantastic information to us. So before we close here, do you want to tell our members a little bit about PitchWiz or anything else that you're doing that is interesting to our den, our den membership? Sure, thank you for the opportunity. I, I guess I would probably point people to my blog first and foremost. It's actually something I haven't been very good at updating in the, in the past few months. Um, but my blog is travelrightearn.com. And um, there's, there's a lot of stories there that, uh, like I say, I try to come with a very, excuse my French, but bullshit-free um, angle in a, in a lot of the kind of the journalistic advice and, and travel writing advice that I give. Um, there's not much theory. It's all about how do you sell your travel stories to publications and magazines and newspapers and websites. Um, because I think, and, and there's a lot of focus on the actual pitch itself, the email that you write to an editor. What goes into that? How should you word it? How long should it be? Um, what are the ingredients that an editor is looking for? Um, because I've noticed that a lot of writers consider the pitch a bit of an afterthought. It's kind of an annoying chore they have to go through that's just a, a bit of a stumbling block before they get to see their wonderful story on, you know, in, in the pages of some magazine or website. And it really isn't. Um, if you don't sell your story properly, 
um, your story might never get born, basically. So, uh, so I try and go into that in, in a lot of detail in, in my blog. And I think especially if you're starting out as, as, as a travel writer or looking to get into that space, um, there should be hopefully some useful stuff there. For you and um, I'm always very open to being written to and and uh, my brain picked as well if anybody hears stuff or has a, a more questions for me um, please get in touch you can do that through my blog too excellent um, I I hope that members take advantage of that because I know we have some people that have been really interested in travel writing in the den and Carol, the den mother, and I, I, well, Carol, I'm sure knows a little bit more about it than I do, but travel writing's outside my area of expertise. So it's mm. always nice to have somebody to send people to and say, well, go check out this blog. He knows all about it. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, if you ever, you know, it's, it's a great career to get into, you know, travel writing. Like I say, there's a reason it's so competitive and, and so popular is because it is, it does offer some of the great experiences um, around the world, you know, especially if you like travel and writing, um, there's no greater combo really. So right. uh, yeah, I agree. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a very informational call and I know it's going to be a huge help to our members and we really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Angie. And, and say thanks to Carol too. Definitely.